and thought, you know, maybe sleep really is a skill. Uh, and maybe there's a way I can teach him to become a better sleeper. And so put those those pieces together and applied them to my son. And within a couple of weeks, he transformed before my eyes. He went from this grouchy, uh, fussy baby to this really happy little guy who was sleeping wonderfully. And it just transformed my confidence as a parent and my relationship with my partner. And I was so excited uh, about what we had done that I just couldn't stop myself from telling everybody. (laughs) Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Sammy Hodges, also known as the Pedi Pals as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Well Child by your friendly PD Pals. We are so grateful to all of our listeners for tuning in and for subscribing, liking, and sharing our podcast. We couldn't be more excited about our topic today. It's a big one, sleep. Sleep is one of the biggest topics in health and wellness and what your PD pals consider as one of the most important pillars of health. We can talk about this topic for days and we plan to cover it in many of our future podcast episodes. But to help us get started, we would like to welcome and introduce our very special guest today, Ms. Dana Obelman. Dana is an expert in the field and has dual degrees in psychology and education, which help her create the Sleep Sense program, which is a complete resource for parents regarding sleep. This program has sold almost 100,000 copies in 30 countries. She has also authored an additional four books on specific parenting challenges. She has credible following on social media and her instructional YouTube videos have over 3.5 million views. She has trained a global network of over 200 sleep consultants to carry on her work in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, Finland, the US, UK, and Canada. We are so excited to learn about her journey and as she gives us more insight how on how to empower families with healthy sleep habits. So welcome, Miss Dana. Yay, I'm happy welcome. to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure. Before we bombard you with all of our questions, we wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us about yourself and what led you here. Well, I was an elementary school teacher back in the day and um, was expecting my first son. And when I went on my maternity leave, um, I really sort of opened the door to new possibilities. I There were many things about teaching I loved, but I I really was thinking that maybe this wasn't my calling, that I was meant to do something else. Uh, And my son was, um, I mean, I knew nothing as most parents do. And with that first baby, I knew nothing about his sleep needs. Uh, And we struggled for the first five or six months, like just really chronically struggled. Like he was up multiple times a night. He wouldn't sleep through the day. He was very, what, what I would have considered at the time spirited, um, (laughs) or or grouchy more, more on point. And, um, you know, it just, it trickled into every area. I thought, you know, I was, um, lacking confidence in my nursing skills because I always thought he was hungry, 
because I didn't know that fatigue and hunger look a lot alike. So constantly overfeeding him in an attempt to get him to be calm and to sleep. And I hit this rock bottom moment, as most of the people who reach out for my program do, where I just felt like I can't, I can't go on like this one more day. I need to figure something out. And so I started researching and, you know, looking online and reading different books about sleep and pulled pieces of, of the content that made sense to me and, and thought, you know, maybe sleep really is a skill uh, and maybe there's a way I can teach him to become a better sleeper. And so put those, ple- those pieces together and applied them to my son. And within a couple of weeks, he transformed before my eyes. He went from this grouchy, uh, fussy baby to this really happy little guy who was sleeping wonderfully. And it just transformed my confidence as a parent and my relationship with my partner. And I was so excited uh, about what we had done that I just couldn't stop myself from telling everybody. (laughs) I mean, I just thought there's really good news. And why isn't anyone talking about this? Uh, And that's when the seed was planted that maybe this could be a career path for me. Um, And so I started out just doing it privately with parents uh, in the community and was seeing really great success uh, with the work I was doing private privately. And so we decided to turn it into an online program and that way we could help more parents uh, get the sleep that they need. And that was, gosh, almost 17 years ago uh, that Sleep Sense was launched and we've been going strong ever since. That's incredibly inspiring. I love that. That's a great story and a great moral. And you know, what's interesting is there were so many great take-home points about what you said, but the one thing that stuck to me the most was the fact that you said it took a couple of weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when they're frustrated with their babies not sleeping, feel like it's something that should be able to be fixed in a night or two. And we often do say that it requires a little patience depending on how much ground you have to cover and how old your child is. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think first of all, it's important to remember that this is a skill. And if I was teaching my child any skill, uh, I would not expect instant success, right? If I, if they're learning to swim or I'm teaching them to read or ride a bike, you know, these are things that take practice, they take time. Um, and, and there's a sort of natural development that takes place. And you're right, it also depends if we're talking about you know, a six-month-old baby, or are we talking about a two- or three-year-old toddler, right? Um, It really depends how deep uh, the the sleep habits have been around and and how strong they are. Um, Definitely all of these things play a role in the process. I mean, in the big picture of life, it's kind of a snapshot, right? right? When I think back to those two weeks to train my first son, he's now 18 and still a great <laughs> sleeper. So, you know, I think in in the big scheme of things, it's relatively short, but when you're in the heat of it, right, it can feel like, oh gosh, this day is never going to arrive. Yeah. And we, we 
are so happy to have you on because it's a big struggle for pediatricians because it, like you mentioned, it's not an easy process. It sometimes takes a long time and a lot of patience and we only get a few minutes with our families uh, at each visit to, to have a resource like yours um, to kind of work through that process over time and to build that skill is really, really helpful. Um, I'm sure you've noticed that with a lot of the families that it, it can take time. Uh, how long is your program? How, um, uh, how long does it typically take for families to, to reap the benefits? Well, the program itself talks about a two-week period. And if you're working privately with one of our consultants, most of their plans are also a two, two to three-week uh, plan. Now, we usually see pretty impressive progress by the third night. That's kind of the turning point night. Um, but in order for consistent success and, and naps to come around, which always take a little bit longer, I would say it, it is a two-week commitment. And it has such a trickle effect on the whole family. You know, especially the moms, we, we go, we have nine months of pregnancy, which is not usually a very restful state. And then you're, you know, faced with this little newborn who has all these needs and you're breastfeeding at two o'clock in the morning and every two hours around the clock. And so then to add a baby that doesn't want to sleep when you're tired is really exhausting. And it really does cause such a stress on the family. I think it's such a huge part of postpartum depression too, is sometimes just pure exhaustion. Yes. So it's, it's, you know, one of the observations that, that we see, but I really love that you said that it was a skill. I've been kind of thinking about that since you said it, because it's so true and it, it holds true for adults as well. I think sleep is one of those things where everyone feels it should be something that just comes naturally to all of us. And even with adults, you know, it's something that you have to work at to continue to be good. And we talk so much about sleep hygiene, especially, you know, at our profession and about, you know, making sure you're doing the same things before you're going to bed all the time, yes. not having a screen in your bed because it confuses your brain and things like that, you know, and having downtime before you're ready to go to bed. And so I really love that you said that it was a skill. I, I'm definitely going to be using that specific term uh, from now on in, in my practice. What are some questions that you get asked uh, often from parents? Uh, well, I think the biggest question that I get asked is when, when will this baby yes. sleep through the night, right? <laughs> uh, I think most new parents are waiting for this magical night to arrive where this baby just, you know, sleeps until morning. Um, and that does happen. I mean, some babies do fall into just naturally good sleep habits, uh, despite what we're doing and just become good sleepers. But, you know, that's a kind of a loaded question because there's no real clear cut answer to it. Uh, I wish that there was some, you know, exact age and perfect weight where we could all agree that, you know, it made perfect sense for this baby to be sleeping through. But what I always circle back around to when I get asked that question is, how does your baby fall asleep initially? That's always the first place to look. So we circle back to bedtime. What is happening at bedtime? What are the things that have to happen in order for this baby to fall asleep? And in my business, it's always prop assisted, which means they're fed to sleep, you know, either breast or bottle fed to sleep. 
their rock to sleep or their padded to sleep, there's always something external attached to the to sleep part. So that is the crux of the issue. That's what has to change in order for a baby to become a better sleeper is that that disconnect between the prop association and sleep. So, you know, I call it independent sleep skills. What that's what we want babies to figure out is how do I get myself to sleep? What are the things that I need to do um, that I have full control over that help me make that transition into sleep? And then once a baby's got those, then they do become a better sleeper. And that might not mean all the way through the night, depending on their age, they may still need a nighttime feed, but they're, they're putting together bigger chunks of time. They're consolidating, you know, at least that first part of the night is coming around and that's going to make mom feel better right, right then and there, right? At least the, the hours are stretching out and she's getting a bit more rest. So I have to ask, since you said about that prop association, does that mean that your program doesn't really uh, endorse like noise machines and things like that? Because a lot of my parents are all about that stuff. Yeah, you know, I always think white noise is a good tool if you need to drown out environmental noises. Like if you have other kids in the house and it's nap time or if you've got crows that are screeching out the window at five o'clock in the morning, or if something's going on that's going to wake up a sleeping sleeping baby, then yeah, absolutely white noise is a great solution to that problem. But I don't think white noise in and of itself is, is like a magical sleep elixir or anything <laughs> like that. I don't think it's the noise that helps the baby sleep. I think it's the noise that prevents you know, loud environmental random noises to wake them. Mm -hmm. So with props, you're, you're referring mostly to having the bottle as they fall asleep in your arms and then kind of putting them in their crib once they're already asleep instead of, you know, usually when I talk to my uh, families, I usually kind of mention putting the baby down when they're almost asleep, but not completely asleep so that they work on that skill, uh, so to speak. So is that usually what you're referring to when you're talking about props? Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's a good place to start if you can, um, you know, not finish. I like to think of it as a journey. Sleep is a journey. So if you can, um, you know, not, not do all of the journey for them, if they can figure out some pieces of that journey on their own, in some cases, that's all they need, right? They just kind of go, oh, that clicks and off they go to become a good sleeper. But for a lot of babies, getting them drowsy is, I mean, really drowsy is the first stage of sleep, right? So um, getting them to drowsy might not work because then every time they wake up in the night, they may need you to get them back to drowsy. Um, So I like to say, especially with babies that are sort of that six month and up age range, I like to eliminate the word drowsy and just not even confuse parents with it. Just say, let's keep the baby awake through that bedtime routine and then let's get them into the crib awake so that they can start figuring out the process for themselves. And this doesn't involve crying it out? Well, Making changes to anybody's sleep habits would be met with protest, right? Like we're so protective of our sleep environment, even as adults, we, we do not like a lot of change when it comes to our strategies for getting ourselves to sleep. 
So babies are the same, right? That it's a habit. And so anything short of what they're used to is most likely going to cause them some protest. The Sleep Sense program does offer the option to be present. So there's no need to leave baby. That that tends to be a big um, you know, pain point for parents is this idea of leaving the child to figure it out all by themselves. Um, and you don't have to do that because, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters what your child is doing to figure out this skill set. So you can stay, you can leave and check, whatever makes the parent feel most comfortable, um, as long as they're not interfering too much in that process of, of skill development. Yeah, the biggest question that I think I get from parents, especially working parents, is that they just haven't found the time. You know, it's often easier for them just to pick up the baby, have the baby fall asleep in their arms, and that way the whole house can get some sleep. So this, uh, you know, I understand the difficulty in creating this time commitment and to build the skill set. It does get difficult. Um, is there a particular? Uh, does your program offer ways for working families to make sure they get sleep in addition to helping their babies build this skill set? Yeah. Yeah, that's common. I mean, most most people have to work, right? There's not a lot of um, parents who have that luxury of taking months or, or years of mat leave. So uh, it's most of our clients. Um, we always suggest people start on a weekend or if you've got a few days of holiday that you can kind of stick together on a weekend. So you have, you know, about a four or five day stretch. But if you just have the weekend, if you started Friday night, by the time Monday rolled around, you'd be you'd be through sort of the heat of it. You'd be through what the worst nights are usually the first night or two. Um, and by then you're seeing some progress. And so that's going to give you that motivation to keep it going, even if it means you're going to be a little extra tired for, for, for the first few days. You know, I always like to talk about it like light at the, there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? It might mean you've got to dig a little deep for these next few nights and be more tired than you already are. But, you know, for the light at the end of the tunnel being that we solve this problem and you go on to be you know, sleeping through the night for the, the rest of this child's life. Um, so it kind of is sometimes the short-term pain to get to the long-term gain that they have to dig a little deep to get there. And if you have a sitter or helpers or anybody that can let you take, you know, a little power nap during the day, if that's possible. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. You're right. And that's that's a common a common. Um, complaint that we hear often too, is that, you know, they know what they need to do. They, or they have an inkling of what they need to be doing, but they just, they're, they're just already exhausted. So Dana, I'm curious, because there's a lot of overlap between what you're telling us and and what we tell our families as well. I'm curious if this is a question you get asked often, because this one actually stumps me, (laughs) but a lot of families will tell me their children will just cry forever. (laughs) So they'll say, no, we can't, we can't let them cry because they'll just cry, cry, cry until they vomit or until they, you know, something drastic happens or, you know, they'll do something, they'll choke or whatnot. And so they'll, they'll tell me that they can't because they'll, the baby will just keep going for hours and hours and they don't have an end in sight. Do you get asked that? 
I've, I've had people tell me that before, for sure. I've had clients who, you know, we've even made bets on the fact that their baby would never sleep and they're just going to cry all night. But what happens is most people kind of do it wrong, if I can just say that, <laughs> is they get frustrated in the middle of the night, right? It's three o'clock in the morning and they've already been up six times with this baby and they're just fed up. And so they say in the moment, let's just let her cry right? Like they don't really know what they're doing, but they heard this somewhere that it might work. And so they let her cry at three o'clock in the morning and she, it escalates and she gets all sweaty and maybe she vomits. I mean, who knows what happens in that time frame? And then they panic, right? Cause they don't, they don't understand what's happening. And they, she looks so distressed that they go in and they rescue her. And then they say that doesn't work, right? That won't work for her. Right. But what has to happen again is this is a big picture and we have to have all the pieces in place. So it really depends on, you know, how much daytime sleep does this child need given their age? Are they so overtired by the time you tried this that that's going to derail progress? There's just a lot of pieces to the puzzle. But once you've got all the pieces in place and you're off to the best start possible, which is always at bedtime, not three in the morning, but at bedtime then we can minimize at least some of the, the potential pitfalls that might occur and, and get them to success. And when parents understand first why they need to do this and then how exactly they're going to do it, I find that it's an easier process. I mean, the baby's still going to cry and they might cry till they're, you know, like all the things you said, but we like to give parents strategies for dealing with that if that does show up. And again, it, it's the short term, right? If you can make it through that first night, which is typically the wor- the toughest, um, then you start to see progress right away on night two. And, and that's going to give you the motivation to keep going with the plan and see it through. Um, but yeah, we, we do hear that a lot. But I've never in 17 years, there's never been a baby that did legitimately cry all night because mm-hmm. At some point, the body just overrides, right? And says, okay, enough's enough. We need to sleep. And boom, they just go lights out um, at, at some point. And yeah, I want to take, sorry, Anna. Yeah, I was just going to say, I want to take that opportunity to say that at, at the end of the day, that well-rested baby is uh, more well-rounded. So yes. no matter what might have occurred in the middle of the night, that might feel traumatizing to parents sometimes. Uh, to me, the benefits of them sleeping well outweigh all of it. And I think anyone I who's had a baby that's cried a lot in the middle of the night and then sees them at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and they're just smiling at you as if nothing happened <laughs> would know that those midnight hours are not something that's going to get ingrained in their long-term memory. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I 100% agree. I think having a well-rested family um, outweighs any nights of, uh, you know, disrupt or upset, the child being upset. It, it's all for the greater good. Yeah. What I've noticed in my practice is that parents that put this emphasis on sleep training early on, you know, starting the six months uh, to a year phase, as opposed to catching up later in the toddler years, uh, seem to have an easier time when they start early. Is that something that you notice with your clients that they seem to respond better to the training or uh, regardless of the age, do you feel that um, they uh, do pretty well? 
Well, anyone who has a toddler knows, right? (laughs) What shows up when you have a toddler is not an easy process. In fact, most of our consultants charge more for a toddler package. The process is longer. It's usually a three-week package at least to deal with a toddler just because, you know, they're persistent and they they have figured out strategies that work well to get the things that they want. Um, and it does tend to be a, a little bit trickier. Now, I love, and this is something that um, I've been really excited about in the last five or six years, is that more new parents are seeking out education while they're still pregnant or while they're expecting Because I believe that if you know a little bit, at least, about what your newborn sleep needs are, then just like any prenatal class, right, you would get taught how to change diapers and, you know, what to look out for with baby, you know, with um, diaper rash and things like that. So if they know a little bit about sleep needs, then I believe you can get a, a newborn off or at least down the right road to to great sleep skills. So there's never a time where you're going to have to sleep train or let her cry because she's just naturally fallen into um, what are good sleep habits. I did it with my second and third child. They were both sleeping 10 hours by 10 weeks because I knew what to do, right? I knew what the process should look like. So I I would love if every new parent would, would, you know, pick up a copy of, of my book or, or really any book that talks about new, the newborn phase and um, just get a little bit of ed- education. I think it's much easier to prevent the problems, right, than try to fix them later. No, that's really um, helpful. And now that you say that, I think I'm going to start talking about it sooner and sooner. Usually around the four to six month period is when I really start talking about it because they start to get more of that separation anxiety around six months. So when they wake mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night and they don't see parents, you know, that's a lot of the, the reasons for staying up in the middle of the night and for those sleep problems to start. But uh, like you said, we focus so much on prevention. I think that's a great idea because we know how important sleep is not only for, you know, your immune system, but also language and development of, uh, of language and, and developmental skills, attention, impulse control, all yes. of that. I mean, sleep is really, really key. So that's a great tip. I'm going to start talking about it more from the beginning now. Great. Now I'm curious, um, with that newborn phase, are any of your tips that you give families, do they have to do with like the temperature of the house or whether they're swaddled or not, or, um, you know, things like that? Cause we do talk about that a little bit sometimes. Yeah, we talk a bit about temperature. Um, most, most parents tend to over bundle babies. Okay. Um, and, and we all actually like to sleep a little on the cooler side. So it's always better to kind of err on that side than too hot. Um, you know, swaddling, it, it can be helpful. Some babies love it and some pe- babies don't, as I'm sure you experience. Um, so it can help, especially through nap time. I find that swaddle can be helpful just to, to kind of prolong or preserve that, that nap um, sleep time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the main points that I try to hammer home with newborn parents is to at least on occasion, let the newborn try to drift off to sleep without you doing anything, right? It's really tempting as new parents to think that everything is our job. 
Um, but sleep is not actually your job. And so the on the occasions where a newborn can fall asleep independently, that that's where the foundation is laid. That's where the progress starts to show up. It's not going to happen every time and nor should it. I mean, you should be holding your babies and doing, you know, lots of beautiful things with your newborn, but you know, once in a while, once a day, if, if you've got the timing right and this little person can drift off in the bassinet without a lot of intervention from you, then, then you're on the right road. And so, you know, Anna was talking about the importance of sleep. Uh, I felt it was also important for us to touch on how much sleep on average uh, we expect from from children. And um, just briefly for anyone listening, it tends to be um, based on their age. So newborns tend to require the most sleep and, and then that kind of incrementally will decrease as they get a little bit older, but, you know, up to 16 hours for a newborn uh, per day. And, you know, that's per 24 hours and they can break it up however, which way um, they tend to do it, but that's what we typically recommend. And then by the time they're two years old, they're at about 13 hours Uh, And, you know, their naps get less and less to the point where they have one nap a day by the time they're two years old on average. And, uh, you know, for me, that's really important because a lot of times parents um, sometimes will even worry if a baby's sleeping too much. And there's no such thing. (laughs) I agree. I agree. (laughs) Exactly. And naps, we get asked about naps a lot as well. Um, So is that something that your program um, discusses or is it mostly the the nighttime stretch of sleep uh, or do you help them balance nap times during the day? Because I know that can affect the nighttime as well. It does. Yeah. I mean, I believe that sleep begets sleep. So the better uh, they're sleeping during the day, the better they tend to sleep through the night, you know, the overtiredness is really a a baby's worst enemy when it comes to sleep. So yes, the program is pretty structured as far as like how much time awake should the, the age, the age um, groups be having uh, Mm -hmm. that will make sure that they're fatigued enough that they'll sleep well for the nap, but not over, over fatigued. Um, And teaching them the independent skills for napping as well will consolidate naps, uh, sleep cycles, create nice, long, restful naps. It's very common for babies who are prop dependent to just have cat naps, right? Like sleep 20 minutes or sleep 30 minutes. And this just goes on all day and they're never really rested and they're never really, you know, hungry or full. And so it usually leads to like late afternoon or early evening meltdowns, right? Where they're just doing long periods of crying. So yeah, absolutely having a a schedule in place for when a baby should be sleeping and how long they should be sleeping. it, It just makes, it makes nighttime sleep better. And it also makes life as a new parent better because then you have some some break time during the day or rest time during the day that you can count on. Um, and that's really important for a mom's mental health. Yeah, that's we totally agree. That is key is, is very key because, you know, oftentimes when things go awry, it's usually when we've gotten off of the routine, um, yes. which is very typical. Um, and it's also really important to know that most children, you know, after a certain age with babies, all the way up until toddlerhood, if given the choice, they will make the wrong choice. So if given the choice, they will sleep 
with their parents. They would like to sleep with their parents. So they, in my professional opinion, they get really good at asking for what they want and manipulating the situation really quickly. Because at the end of the day, they would so much prefer to be next to mom and dad all night. And again, anyone who's had kids knows that when they're sitting next to you, I'm going to quote Jerry Seinfeld. It's like having a goat in a bag, you know, in bed with you. It's just the most uncomfortable way to sleep. And it's not good for anyone in the family. Um, And I want to be mindful and respectful of other cultures because I know co-sleeping is, is not necessarily something that's frowned upon in all cultures and it and it is something that a lot of cultures do uh routinely but you know in our north american culture uh it's not as popular and uh we typically at the pd pals endorse if you can separate the room and separate yourself from the baby uh, i have to say i'm just going to plug in real quick about my personal sleep story i have two girls they're older now but um my first one was was pretty good. She kind of figured it out on her own. We, we used to joke that she knew her mom and dad were interns. So she was just like, I feel sorry for you guys. And I'll just <laughs> sleep right from the beginning. <laughs> but in hindsight, it was, we, we might have missed a lot because <laughs> we were both so exhausted that we might've, you know, something that a little stir that another parent might've woken up to, we were just too gone and, and, dead ourselves to wake up to it. So it just, you know, made her soothe herself back down and, and go to bed. Our second daughter, not so much. She was kind of like your first son, um, the feisty fury one. And she uh, had a hard time sleeping right from the get-go uh, to the point where, God, I hope she never listens to this podcast, but we used to call her it. <laughs> we used to say, oh God, it's awake. What does it want? And um <laughs> I see you laughing, Anna. But uh, what happened actually is that the first time she slept through the night, I don't remember how many months old she was, but it was a time where I went to a medical conference and it was just my husband. And I'm I'm sure she cried and I'm sure he slept through it. And uh, by the time I got back three days later, she was sleeping through the night. She was sleep trained. She was. And guess what? (laughs) They love us. <laughs> they don't feel neglected. They have no clue this even happened. They never asked us, how did we get to be good sleepers? Uh, and so, you know, there's so much mommy guilt that comes along with this whole thing, right? And we, it's just such a natural thing with the mommy guilt that they feel that they're neglecting their baby maybe or that, but at the end of the day, I really want to emphasize that the children are happier, everyone's happier and they're fine and they're not going to hold a grudge against you for something. They're never going to remember how you did in the first place. Yes. I agree. I wish we could just get rid of that. Don't you? I mean, I'm just so sick of that. Like this normalization of sleep deprivation that's happening and shaming mothers into feeling like they're bad parents because they want sleep. I mean, sleep is a vital, it's vital. You will die without it. Like it's part of your five essential needs. So why we're telling parents that they don't have to have an essential need or they're selfish because they want that. I mean, let's just stop. People stop. We've got to, right. It's, it's so unfair. And that's a lot of what we do uh, is just reassurance and tell them that they're doing a good job because this guilt really does take over. And a lot of what we see is when children get sick, I see a lot of regression in the sleep. Um, You know, a lot of times parents will tell me, 
they were doing so well and then they got sick and they came in our bed and, you know, we couldn't take it. We had to, uh, we had to kind of break our routine. And, and that's, it's so hard because it's natural, you know, when our children are not feeling well. Um, is there a part of your, I was just curious, uh, do they kind of re- reinstate the program when they get a regression or they get uh, to a point where they were doing so well and then, you know, one bad illness kind of stirred things up? Yeah, that's, those are common pitfalls. Developmental milestones often also cause sleep regressions. But, you know, I would, I always say to clients, you know, when your baby is sick, absolutely, you need to comfort them, right? I mean, the same we would comfort anyone who is ill. So going in, having extra cuddles, you know, doing the things that would, would make the child feel a little bit better, but not to do really different things like bring them to bed with you or, you know, reintroduce lots of night feeds. If that's something that they've worked their way out of, um, you know, I always say, if you're really worried about the child, go, go to them, like throw a mattress down uh, beside the crib, mm-hmm. spend a couple of nights keeping an eye on her that way. It's, it's mildly disruptive, but it's not the same level of disrupt as it would be to bring baby into bed with you because you're right, you know, that a few nights in bed with mom and dad, like you said, they would prefer that, right? So now six months later, they're still in, in the parent's bed and they it's hard to get out of that. So just keeping that, you know, consistency going with a little bit of extra attention should see people through the illness. And then once the illness is resolved, the child should go back to sleeping um, as well as they did before. But yeah, if they, if they lost the road, you know, and, and pulled out all the stops and kind of found themselves back in the same position they were in originally, they can just do the program over, right? Knowing that the child has the ability to do this, that it's, it, it should show up faster this time because the skill set is there. It's just a reminder to use it again after the illness. Yeah. Do you guys also deal with families with children with special needs because it can become even more challenging if the child has autism or any kind of developmental delay? Yeah, we do. We actually have um, someone on our team that's her specialty. So that's all she sees uh, is children with special needs. So if anyone's wanting more information about her, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share that. But yeah, you know, a lot of what we teach is um, structure, uh, reward, consequence, um, and and having the rules be black and white. And a lot of children um, with that that have autism do well with that sort of strategy, right? They they do better when they understand what the expectations are and when things are clear. Uh, and and even you know we've seen a lot of success uh, with children who are have ADHD or ADD. Um, because a lot of the symptoms, like we were mentioning early, earlier, like imp- impulsivity and, and aggression, uh, come out when you're sleep deprived, right? When you're feeling sleepy, that's usually when your behavior goes downhill. So just increasing the, the number of hours that those children are spending asleep can make significant difference in the symptoms that show up. And most people, we get it when they're babies, but we forget it a little bit when they get older. Children all the way up to adolescence need about 10 hours on average, nine to 10 hours of nighttime sleep. And most are not getting that. Exactly. Um, And even into teens, even teens need 
a good, a solid eight and yes. do better with nine. So mm-hmm. it, it, they need, they need a lot of sleep. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And we, we spend a lot of talking time talking about sleep hygiene and also quality sleep. You know, if they have sleep conditions like sleep apnea, snoring, they might be sleeping that amount of time, but I always encourage, um, all of parents to talk to their pediatrician. Definitely. If, if we're having, cause one of the first things that we see with, uh, uh, with ADHD, we see that so commonly diagnosed now, you know, and a lot of times, um, I always ask first and first foremost about sleep, because if you're not getting good sleep, um, no amount of medication is going to help you focus right. during the day, you know? And so that is such an essential part of it. Um, but the quality as well, well as the amount. So I'm glad you, you brought that up because it's so, so true. I'm curious, what are the bookends of age that you guys will treat? What's the youngest and the oldest? Um, we work with kids all the way up to adolescence. Wow. Okay, so great. You're born all the way up to about 12. That's awesome. So can you tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about where they can find you and how they can take advantage of this great resource? Yeah, you can find out more about me in the program at sleepsense.net. You can also follow me on Instagram at sleepsense and I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm pretty much anywhere um, you go for social media, I'm there. But uh, the website is the best place to start. Wonderful. And are there any kind of take-home tips that you have for our audience or moms and dads? Uh, I think my, my top tips um, that I love to share, and if you only hear one thing, I hope you hear this, is that sleep is a skill. Uh, and it's about teaching your child independent sleep skills that will last a lifetime. I strongly believe that. I believe that, you know, if we've got a, a baby who sleeps well, turns into a toddler who sleeps well, turns into a school-aged child that sleeps well and all the way up. And the reverse is also true. If you've got a baby not sleeping well, they tend to turn into a toddler who doesn't sleep well and so on because sleep is a skill. And if you don't learn it, when will you, when will you start, you know, to do it? So you have to learn it. Um, and also to what we talked about, you know, let go of the guilt around this. There's nothing normal about being sleep deprived. There's nothing normal uh, about um, wanting to sleep. You know, it's, it's a normal part of everyone's health and happiness to have good night's sleep. So let, let that go and see, and seek out some assistance and, you know, it doesn't need to be my program. There's lots of other programs on the market that can help give you some skills and tools for improving the situation. At least it's not something you have to live with or struggle with or, or suffer through just because you decided to become a parent. Dana, we really appreciate you coming on our podcast and uh, giving such insightful information to our audience. And um, we'll definitely be talking about this on our social media as well. So we'll go ahead and and provide a link to your website and and your social media. I know we both follow you uh, on Instagram. Uh, But once again, thank you so much for coming. And uh, we hope to see you again and collaborate with you in the future. I'd be happy to. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much.
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.